Live from the Talking Joe Studios, it's Talking Joe. You seem normal. Hey Joe fans, Mark here and welcome to part two of our look at G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue 287. Along with our special guest, Yoo-hoo! I'll make you famous. Billy Penn is on our show. He's just a guy who draws G.I. Joe. The artist of that issue, it's Billy Penn. Now, in part one of our discussion, we talked to Billy all about how he got into comics, how he got into art, and his love for G.I. Joe. Now, in this part two, we will be launching into our normal, more regular look at the issue. So sit back, relax, and here we go. Comic talk, oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them, Tim and Mark discuss them, whoa. Comic talk, oh, comic talk. Larry Hammer writes them, Tim and Mark discuss them, whoa. We are ready to talk about the issue. It is issue 287. It was released uh, 10th of November 2021, almost two months on from the last one, which I was surprised uh, was 22nd of September. The creative team, as always, we have Larry Hammer as the writer. We have Billy Penn as the artist. Colours are, as always, Jay Brown. Letters, Neil Utaki, uh, senior editor, Tom Waltz. Editor Med- Megan Brown and research specialist Diana Davis. Uh, Mark just mentioned that this issue came two months after the previous one, and I, and I don't that should not be taken as a criticism of anyone at IDW. Uh, we are we are still living in a world where things that are shipped from far away have a lot of delays, and IDW and all comics publishers are are dealing with this right now. Is is that your retailer perspective? Yeah, because I I I kept thinking like, oh my gosh, an issue did not ship in October, but the news everywhere is paper shortages, shipping sh- problems. I didn't know if that affected this issue or not. Uh, I mean, I, I so I don't have intelligence such that I could say like this absolutely wasn't a domino effect internally at IDW or that like someone who should approve pages at Hasbro like didn't do it quickly enough because those kinds of you know artists turn in their pages late or right you know like art that gets FedExed across the country gets lost so I can't 100% say that this was just supply chain delays but uh, my shop is having supply chain delays for uh, every publisher things that aren't comics right we can't get bags and boards right now and um uh boom just sent an email uh, a week ago uh listing the their release dates for everything through the end of the year and taking a few things pushing them further down and admitting like this is about shipping and paper okay we want you to have more information uh marvel has uh updated some release dates they don't they don't give a reason but certainly it is supply chain it's not like all of a sudden eight artists at marvel uh, like got sick. Although also, you know, this is a year when artists have gotten sick and and things take longer. Uh, so sorry, Mark, back to you. Okay, so next on to <laughs> the covers. 
Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So cover A is the second of the multi-part cover from Freddie Williams, the second, the G.I. Joe, the movie in, uh, intro-inspired piece uh, with colours by Jeremy Colwell. Cover B is uh, the pit issue that we've talked about uh, by Billy Penn, colours by Jay Brown, and cover that is only available in Rhode Island. Uh, I, right, right. Um, is art by Megan Huang of uh, of the newbies, Malto, uh, Sherlock, and Black Hat. So uh, first up, cover A, Scarlet, with her two friends and her teammates, uh, Storm Shadow, uh, Shipwreck, Mutt, Covergirl, Alpine, Duke, all flying about on their, their jump backpacks with a the middle section of the Statue of Liberty, a fire bat, some trouble bubbles, and a bat. I, I'm i just going to repeat myself from last month, and I think my comments for the third, fourth, and fifth parts of this interlocking <laughs> cover will just be this same idea again, that Freddie Williams II draws really well. His stuff is exciting and uh you know technology and people and clothing and explosions uh the statue of liberty in perspective but if you were to draw this cover by itself without it connecting to other covers uh everyone drawing this cover would would arrange these elements differently and so this composition ends up being uh unexciting and compromised because um it has to connect to stuff on the left and the right and so uh like Scarlet would be bigger and some of the other characters would be bigger and you wouldn't have this sort of bat's hand and arm, but not the bat's head that she's punching get cropped um, out of the cover. Uh, also, um, Scarlet's breasts are pretty big. Uh, <laughs> and and if this is meant to be like a sexy cover, like titillating, that this is not that's not the angle, you know, like a foreshortened person sort of flying at you is not the. Uh, it's not the angle. So, you know, I saw on Facebook that um, Larry Houston, who was a, a producer of the animated series, co-wrote an episode and and sort of most notably um, storyboarded a lot of animated G.I. Joe, saw this cover and said, hey, neat, someone's doing some covers of the comic based on the opening to the movie that I storyboarded. I'm going to have to go get those because Larry Houston is a big uh, retired awesome fanboy and he goes to a comic book store every week. And I'm glad... I'm glad he likes this, um, but uh, I don't. I don't think it works. Also, just like last issue, Scarlet Jetpack's Statue of Liberty has nothing to do with the interior issue, and so with my magic wand, I would make you know cover B into cover A, and I'd make the retailer incentive cover B. I think generally, you know, if if I buy like a Star Trek: The Next Generation DVD, and it's got Captain Kirk on it, like on the box. And someone's like, oh, that's a special one that we only shipped a thousand of these to certain DVD stores. I would say that's confusing. So uh, I, I don't I don't think Scarlet should be on, on this cover. But uh, cover B is super fun. Uh, this cross section and uh, the retailer cover uh, drawn by uh, Megan Huang. Uh, so uh, this artist has done some work for IDW. Uh, there was a Jenica 
miniseries. That's the new Ninja Turtles character. And I really like that character. Huang did a backup story for the second Jenica miniseries. Um, so not her first work uh, for IDW, but her first week for uh, first work for G.I. Joe. So speaking of a manga influence, right, here's here's a cover where the characters are drawn. I should say more with an animation influence. I don't want to ascribe this to anime or manga, but the characters are a little young. They're, they're, there's they, they look young sort of in the cartooning of this. So it's a fun image. I like the color. Um, I think the compositions, they're sort of all bunched together. So like the silhouette of the three of them overlapping, I think could be a little more separated and effective. And you get a lot of this negative space sort of on the top left of the cover under like the GI and a reel of the logo. So I, I like this cover, but I, I think this artist is going to get better. So if they do more covers in the future, I, I look forward to seeing them. Back to cover B. Um, I think we'll do a session of name the Joes and I'll just put myself on the spot to see if I can get them. Here we go. Name the Joes. Is there a clue in the character pose? Maybe the outfit or the funky clothes. Do I spy a pair of pantyhose? Some facial hair or distinctive nose. ID the Joes. Knock them over like dominoes. Or Larry Hammer's polyphonic prose. Name the Joes. Name them. So starting at the top, we've got the uh, Rolling Thunder. So I assume that's Armadillo inside. It's it's not. Uh, he's probably the least clear of the the characters for for me. Billy, do you know who that would be in the turret? Oh, geez, he's an '85 Joe. I, I had the toy. I think he came with a tank. He's kind of got like the goggles on his helmet. He's a mustached dude. Oh, would that be? Heavy Metal from the Mauler Tank? I believe that's Heavy Metal from the Mauler Tank. Okay. Armadillo is squished between the R and the J. Can you see his deltoid? <laughs> 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 okay. Let's assume he's there then. So uh, you're then right. Got... There, that, you're... Good eagle eye. That is Armadillo. That's his shoulder. Okay. Uh, then we've got <laughs> Lifeline, Gung Ho, Leatherneck, two Marines together, uh, Law and Order, then... Up on the top of the Defiant, we've got uh, Outback taking a blowtorch to uh, to the Defiant. Not entirely sure if I trust him with that. Uh, Stalker looks to be looking over. On the elevator, we have Duke and Scarlet with uh, the newbies. So that would be Molto, Black Hat, and Sherlock. Down the bottom of the uh, page, we've got Hawk, Dial Tone, and payload version two, uh, who was packaged exclusively with the Crusader space shuttle. I had to look up that one. Uh, roadblock uh, with the Warthog and uh, Dusty. Glad to see the Warthog there. One of my very favourite, very favourite vehicles. There we've got Rock and Roll, uh, rocking and rolling in his uh, in his quarters. Uh, it looks like he's probably next to uh, Big Lob. Going by the uh, <laughs> by the basketball on the top of the, that wardrobe, we've I just got... drew a basketball, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's good. We've got uh, Jinx and uh, Snake Eyes or Throwdown uh, on the stairs. Snake uh, Flint and Lady J together. Uh, I guess Flash has got his head in a havoc with Sci-Fi and Cross Country. 
and then uh, upper level in uh, the common center mainframe sparks and falcon and uh, then above them we've got another dog handler mutt and junkyard some anonymous silhouettes behind him and then best buds uh, bazooka and alpine ding 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 um who is uh billy who's between your signature and roadblock nobody another okay <laughs> i wish i had a good answer for you joe colton <laughs> from 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 the cover of 86 where you can't mm. see him <laughs> i'm just another guy named joe right they're like who are you quick question uh all right the of the newbies the one on the left is multo right he's kind of holding a gun yeah is multo holding a gun <laughs> yes a loaded gun in the pit he's ready for anything Except for the time that Cobra invaded the pit and that other time that Cobra invaded the pit. Like, you don't want to have a loaded weapon unless you're in, like, the rifle range, right? Or in the armory. What about the other time that Cobra invaded the pit? Um, <laughs> uh, we, don't, he, we don't know it's could, loaded. He could be taking a selfie, to be honest. It's, right. Yeah, I, in my, my, my no prize is that he's holding a data pad. And then I thought, well, then two of the Joes are holding a data pad on the, uh, on the, uh, the elevator. There's a lot of uh, data this, to, to pad. I just want to say this again, because uh, I think it bears repeating that this cover is so unusual. Um, I think this cover sells this comic really well, even if it's not, even if the issue doesn't take place in the pit. And uh, at my store, I, I put a copy of cover B out front and it is a cover A that's behind it because, uh, yes, people like Scarlet and she's sexy and she's got a jetpack. Um, but uh, I think this cover asks more of a question yeah and i was i was excited to see it when it was in the original solicits as well a few months ago because you know with larry hammer and his writing he often plays the long game he'll go on little detours and you know in the storytelling and then you know come back and and i was you know i like i enjoyed the murder by assassination you know all the rest of it and i i wanted to see the story continue see where these guys go go next so i was excited to to hear that there would be a focus on the uh, the newbies as they they called here and and you know how that continuing story will will progress. It is funny of all the uh, pit reference I collected from the comic. I also screen captured the intro of the comic, and I was looking forward to them going to the firing range where Flash would be melting <laughs> the uh, target and uh, and whatever that that horizontal pole room is that you can just jump through. <laughs> I think I think uh, uh, Tomax and Zaymot used something like that in one of the episodes when they're falling between the extensive enterprises building and and Lady Jay's falling with them. I, there's there's all sorts of weird gymnastic pop out poles in the world of GI Joe. There, there's there's two guys in that training room also that are just strictly kick fighting. Uh, I think those are the guys you have uh, in, in in the top under level. Uh, in right, the distance right. behind uh, Mutt and Junkyard. They're just going to start <laughs> kicking, kick flipping each other. Yeah. This also got me thinking, uh, this was all editor Tom Waltz's idea, but it got me thinking, um, Steve Zissou is a better G.I. Joe movie than... <laughs> yeah. Very good. Just you've got different characters doing stuff, like the camera guy, the electrician guy, the communication guy. Scoop, Breaker, 
<laughs> Shipwreck. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, it'd be funny in a G.I. Joe movie if you just had people dressed up as Bazooka who, who don't deliver a line of dialogue just walking past the camera. Mm-hmm. Note to Paramount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get on with the plot breakdown. The G.I. Joe newbies, Multo, Blackout, Mongoose, and Sherlock are joined by Outback on a recon mission to investigate the goings-on at Cobra Island. They launch a Zodiac boat from the whale, making their way to Cobra Island, avoiding a Cobra hydrofoil while Cutter and Shipwreck help by distracting a Mamba. At the site of the old compound, Dr. Mindbender explains to his new assistant, Crimson Guard Laura 343, that he is constructing a casino with a modified construction bat or set of bats. In Dr. Mindbender's new lab, he unveils a new upgraded brainwave scanner alongside the original scanner. The Joes ambush a Cobra patrol, taking their uniforms and vehicle in order to infiltrate the casino compound. Black Hat is able to tap into the brainwave scanner and copy all the data. They are discovered by Mindbender, but bluff their way out. The Joes make their way back to the whale, prisoners in tow, and a huge amount of data to analyze. To be continued. This issue is dense, right? So Mm. Billy has already referred to this in all of the locations, right? So water, jungle, construction site, etc. There are so many Cobra vehicles here. There are so many different kinds of vipers who we just see for a panel or two. There are several particular devices, right? Like the brainwave scanner. And there are two flashbacks. And also, (laughs) right? Everyone remember that this is a spotlight for four new Joes. There is a lot in this issue. And any any issue of G.I. Joe would be harder to draw than a lot of comics. Uh, this is going to be up there for one hardest to draw issue ever. <laughs> so the reason, the real reason why Billy Penn never drew another issue of GI Joe is because that two eight seven broke him. Right, right. I'm not comparing myself to Michael Golden, but <laughs> yeah, Michael Thank Golden you. just Michael Golden just had to draw some Joes, some Cobras, the October Guard, and, you know, four vehicles, right, and a train. And he took about a year for it as well, right? (laughs) Yeah, yes. There you go. There you go. He had no deadline. They were waiting for him. I I like to tell art historians, Da Vinci only had to paint one Mona Lisa. (laughs) Not not keep her consistent with turnarounds. (laughs) No. Well, I, yeah, I've sort of hinted at this, but what I like about this issue particularly is is that it's picking up on the recent threads. So, so it's picking up on uh, Laura three four three, you know, who in that final issue of Snake Hunt was last seen in that corridor with with all of the explosions going off, and we sort of left not knowing quite what happened to her. We had the mystery of all of those construction bats in uh, the the last issue of Murder by Assassination. So what were they all about? And, you know, what were all those containers about? So we get kind of a bit of a resolution to to that. And then we've also, you know, had that foundation of these newbie characters being introduced. And, you know, me personally, I want to sort of see more of them and not just... You know them disappear off for 20, 20 issues or you know a hundred issues. Some you know that we sometimes might see in GI Joe before before these characters come back. So it's it's really great that we're kind of continuing to see kind of them being used and and fleshed out. Uh, other observation I had around the 
plot is it's GIJ and recon mode again they're gathering intel uh, it's a slight gripe that that GI Joe seems to be doing that doing that a lot but not always necessarily doing a lot with the intel that they've they've gathered <laughs> um so so if you like you've cast your mind back there was like those bats in the bat factory that had all of those spy cams and stuff installed on them from uh, bomb strikes uh, insertion team gathering loads and loads of in- intel but i um, think that never quite finding uh finding out about uh what it was but but that that side uh it is a good uh, recon and and uh mission another observation we're back at cobra island which correct me if i'm if i'm wrong here but um i don't think we've seen it since since issue 134 which was all the way back when uh firefly was in neon green mode and taking over cobra cobra island himself I don't own those issues, but I was flipping through my back issues going like, oh my gosh, we haven't been on Cobra Island in forever. Like I, I wanted personally to make sure that I didn't draw the freighter because I uh-huh. think if you <laughs> if you Google like Cobra Island map, you'll get that picture. Yep. And I was like, oh wait, no, nope. The freighter, uh, you know, Cobra Commander blew up the volcano in 100. The freighter went missing. Yeah, the freighter is the only thing that's not climbed out of that volcano. <laughs> right, right. This is this is really just a, another argument for why this comic needs to be published twice a month because there are so many characters and locations. It's you know, it's it it it's been far too long since we checked back in with Cobra Island. Well, even talking about the newbies, you were talking about uh I I saw the script, I was like Mongoose, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's the guy, you know, they meet in the cafeteria." Yeah. He says I'm a translator. Did IDW give you reference for him? Yes. Okay. But on on the Cobra Island point, um, I'm going to take complete credit for the return to Cobra Island because if you cast your mind back just a few months, there was a sensational uh, letter in the in the pages of GIJ that was published <sighs> by a certain uh, guy who suggested that it would be great to have a return to Cobra Island, and Larry agreed that it was ripe with I think. Revenance, I think he he called it or something like that, like that. So, yeah, I'll 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 bank that one. I'll say I planted the uh, the seeds, <laughs> whether he was planning to already or not. Dreams do come true, Mark. You should keep writing those letters. I bet there's more than I bet there's another thing or person that you'd like to see come back to the comic. So this this can be this can be a, a nudge for everyone who's listening. If there's something you want to see in the pages of GI Joe. They don't get as many letters as they used to. And I also, I also said they should give a spotlight to the October Guards, given their their return. And guess what's coming up in a couple of uh, issues' time? It's a uh, October Guard spotlight. <laughs> what I like about this coming back to Cobra Island here is that as a location, it was always so full of possibilities, yeah. right? Like it's so like smart and funny and a little scary that. Like it was invented the way that it was invented and that Cobra has this property all to itself. But, uh, you know, whether it's in the comic or in, in, in the cartoon, it's like, well, you can go there and blow stuff up, blow stuff up and leave. And it's not like you're damaging a building in like Manhattan, right? Like in issues 95 and 96. Or blowing up London. Uh, right, right, right. From space. <laughs> uh, what I like about this is that when we... <laughs> Cobra Island's new purpose here is 
immediately new and different. Mm. Right? So it's not like, oh, Cobra Commander is there, like, fortifying his defenses or, like, plotting something against uh, the Joes, right? Or, like, building a new base, right? Like, no, it's a casino, right? That's really funny. That Like, the stuff that, as a kid, sort of bounced off me, you know, like, oh, yeah, Cobra owns property in New Jersey, right? Like, oh, Cobra is a pyramid scheme. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that must be how Cobra Commander gets his money, right? Like, no, that's really funny and cynical that, <laughs> that like, there are enough people who are duped into in these flashbacks in the comics when Cobra Commander is, like, giving a speech and talking about, like, downtrodden America, like, that they'll give him his money, right? And so the fact that here it's a casino, right? It's like, no, this is about making money and, and it's legal, right? So it's, I think this is great. E- even if nothing comes of this, even if Hama like never makes it back here, like just these two panels of Mindbender describing it and then they walk through the casino, I am utterly thrilled and satisfied. It does feel a little Batman 66-ish. Where like as a kid, you're thinking, this is deadly serious. And as an adult, you're like, yeah, why not build a casino on an right. island? Yeah, because, you know, it's like, you know, if all the all the Daredevil comics and like Daredevil TV I've seen on Netflix, right? It's like, OK, yeah, when 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 criminals take their ill-gotten money and buy real estate, now the real estate's legal. Now they're like criminal money is legal because it's it. And so. Absolutely, this worldwide terrorist organization, you know, it's like, all right, well, we're going to sell some tanks to like Middle Eastern dictators and we're going to own some property in the US. And I don't know, the government could probably seize that, but not this casino. (laughs) Right, right. Now, I do think I do think it would be a resort for bad guys. Personally, personally. So there's an episode of the animated show where we briefly see uh, a Cobra R&R base in the I, I can't remember if it's the Arctic or the Antarctic. But uh, I agree with you. I would love to see some Cobra characters, whether it's generic Vipers or one-of-a-kind people like, you know, a Dreadnought, enjoying this casino, you know, or, or the island, like, as, as a beach. I'm intrigued, and uh, worried is too strong. I'm intrigued that the brainwave scanner has come back. It's this long-running thread. I don't want to say MacGuffin because it's not a MacGuffin. It actually is a like vital sort of story component as a, as a prop mm-hmm. um, in G.I. Joe. And I don't want to say that it's been used to, like there's nothing new left to do with it or it's been overused. But I do think that like Co- Cobra is big enough and interesting enough that if I never saw it again... Mm-hmm. I would be fine with that, right? It's like, you bring back Cobra Island, I think, yeah, I've missed that. You bring back the Brainwave Scanner, I'm like, oh, I think we saw that 15 issues ago. Um, and, and also bringing back the original Brainwave Scanner, which has got to have been destroyed at least 10 times. <laughs> don't, I don't know how many times it has been destroyed, um, but uh, that would be a task to go through and, and sort of try, try and... Uh, sort of chronicle the yeah the chron- chronology of that Brainwave Scanner of where, where it's been and what happened to it. At the same time, though I'm satisfied with how much we've seen the brainwave scanner, I do think Dr. Mindbender is sort of at his best when he's working with it, because when he's not working with it, I I don't see him have a lot of use in Cobra, because 
right? His file cards say he's an interrogator. And like, we're never going to see a scene in a G.I. Joe comic where there's a Joe in a jail cell or tied to a chair. And Dr. Mindbender is just like asking them questions or threatening them or like, you know, like shining bright lights in their face and splashing water in their face and saying like, answer the question. So as a, as a prop, like this, this belongs to him, even if I know Dr. Venom uh, invented it. So sort of the two of them in combination I like. I'm also glad to see Dr. Mindbender without Cobra Commander, because I do think that the comic in the last hundred issues has very often paired Cobra Commander and Dr. Mindbender in a way that I think excludes other interesting Cobra characters. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of I'm so used to this combination now. A lot of times Mindbender just feels like he's there so that Cobra Commander isn't talking to himself. Yeah. Like just for the benefit of mm-hmm. Yeah, for the benefit of the reader. It's like, no, I'd much rather Dr. Mindbender in this scene go interrogate a Joe. And he's not a commander, right? So he's not gonna like lead a battalion. He's not gonna like tell a bunch of vipers to go do something unless it's very particular to like, okay, now set up this brainwave scanner. In the last hundred issues, you know, if magically Mindbender disappeared and like Major Blood showed up in one of those scenes or Scrap Iron or Gristle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mix it up. So, yeah. so okay, so if we're going to have Mindbender back, I like that it's 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 without Cobra Commander and it's with the Brainwave Scanner. So and it's with Laura. So here's like a, a sort of a novel uh, combination. Yeah, so we were just talking about the um, Mindbender and the Brave Brainwave Scanner. So, um, you know, clearly... There, there's a plot afoot to to use the scanner somehow in conjunction with this ca- casino and a cloning tank. Yeah, and I was going to say there's mm. there's a conspicuous use of a glowing green cloning tank there mm. as as well. All right, so I I want to jump in here because this panel where Mindbender says, ah, that is the beauty part and the big secret. And I, I, I was turning the page and I was like, yes, what's the secret? And then we cut back to Joe's <laughs> outside. I thought, oh, right, right. This, this, every, every, it's, it's all little cliffhangers. So both that panel, right, Mindbender teasing something that we don't know with uh, this cloning tank. And then also uh, the final two panels of the comic, right, uh, where Black Hat says, I downloaded a huge amount of data this will take ages to analyze, but it'll be worth it. As I read those, I was I reminded myself, like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen with these two threads. It's very likely that Larry Hama, as he wrote these, did not know. And, you know, three months later, does not know where these are going. Because <laughs> right, right. as he tells us in his Facebook name, he's making it up as he goes. And this isn't like him being cute. This is him, like, every month he, like manages to pull off this 20-page adventure, and some of them have cliffhanger endings. Some of them have sort of uh, flat, I don't mean that as an insult, flat endings, um, and they say to be continued. Uh, and some of them just, like, the story is over, like our previous issue, right? Which is, which is you know, like, page 20, the story is over. And it, it occurred to me, like, okay, so two issues ago, we see construction bats. We see battle android troopers retrofitted to do construction and we see uh like a shipping container and i thought oh yeah two months ago in larry hama's writing time he probably didn't know what that was going to be it's like oh well i think i'll have some bats like loading up this container and they've got like construction arms or whatever but part of what's like frustrating or uh anxiety producing about reading this comic is 
you know, this is not like a discrete 12 issue miniseries where the writer is going to like end it with a big thing. And then it'll be like one graphic novel collection that you can like give to your friend. Like G.I. Joe is just this big 40 year story. And some of the issues end in a really satisfying way. And some of the issues end. And to get some satisfaction out of some of the stories, you have to read another issue or maybe 20 issues from now. So I do hope, (laughs) I do hope that both the casino, the brainwave scanner, the cloning tank, and all this data come back around really soon. But I've been reading this comic for a long time, and I wouldn't be surprised if three out of those four things don't come back around Mm -hmm. soon. And I'm okay with that because those are the rules for this comic. Right. As a fan, it was thrilling reading the plot. I'm like, oh, we're back on Cobra Island. Oh, they're building a casino. And then I thought, oh, (laughs) I guess I I have to draw it. And and then you thought, oh, I don't get to draw what happens with it because it's... it doesn't get resolved in this issue. Right, right. But it is fun to speculate that maybe Doc mm. and Breaker are coming back. Yeah, so I guess the <laughs> the the, clo- the cloning machine there combined with the with the old brainwave scanner particularly and everything that's stored in its memory banks sort of I guess opens some doors for for it being used to kind of clo- potentially tap into those memories stored in the machine and bring back some dead characters or and in, in parallel possibly that they're going to you know wanting to to kidnap some guests from the casino maybe sort of world leaders oh. are going to visit this casino they're going to capture them stick them in the machine take you know take their mem- memories clone them and and do what i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb here and i'm gonna guess definitively that uh serpentor uh and dr venom are not coming back from this this subplot. (laughs) Again. Possibly. Mm. Third time lucky. My third third written note on my piece of paper, having read this issue, is uh, great storytelling and everything is clear. So, you know, we've we've talked about um, Billy Penn's art and his process. um, And what I didn't actually say, because I was saving it, is that this is a, in terms of, of reading and readability, in terms of clarity drama, action, acting. This is a good comic book. Every panel has, uh, excuse me, every page. I mean, I'm looking at the opening scene, right? First page only has four panels, but then it's five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels. Um, uh, Billy Penn's storytelling in this issue is great. And uh, going back to the inking, everything has heft and uh you know i don't get the sense that like oh um anatomy or faces are his specialty but he really doesn't want to draw vehicles right because he draws all the vehicles um he's not like particularly avoiding them um uh, i i do have one uh one small uh uh tim finn critique in the art but which i'll which i'll say out loud (laughs) hold on tim Pick on the nitpicker, Timmy Finn, analytical prankster, Timmy Finn, picking holes in your colouring, Timmy Finn, still love you, Joe, Timmy Finn. So is the criticism as long as that, or? (laughs) 
I say this uh, knowing full well that it's gauche to criticize our guest who's gracious enough to join the show. Uh, and I, I can't do this. I can't draw an issue of G.I. Joe and I can't draw an issue of G.I. Joe in like 23 days. Um, uh, there, uh, there are three or four panels where I feel like someone's head, someone, someone could, someone could be drawn bigger. Mm, mm. That, um, and I, and I initially thought this might've come from your reference photos that you and your brother, though in shape, are not as big as these, you know, like 29 year old, 220 pound real American heroes. Um, so, uh, you know, page nine, panel one, Dr. Mindbender. I know he's not, he's not as big as like roadblock, but um, I would just like a little more meat on his bones. And when we see, when we see um, Outback on page, I think it's 12. <laughs> I just want, just want his head a little smaller for his body. Um, but uh uh, I I really did like this issue, and I'm I'm not just saying it because uh, we're we're on we're on the podcast together right now. And I I whether or not this issue broke you or I invented that idea, uh, I want you to come back and draw more issues. I will prove that that Doctor Mindbender is me. <laughs> no. He's got the braces underneath. <laughs> I, I will say when I uh, when I was drawing uh, uh, for Cobrember last December when I was drawing uh, GI Joe characters and um, and there half of them are photo referenced from me. <laughs> this, no, this is a real thing. You take a photo of yourself or your like roommate, and you have to like tell yourself like no 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 like like superheroes like John Buscema in How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way tells us that like okay regular humans are seven and a half heads tall superheroes are and nine he, heads he stand tall. like this and yeah America's and they and, like, and 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 you you are exaggerating yeah. um and i uh, i added muscle to me for dr mindbender but yeah even with added muscle i'm the wrong proportions for dr mindbender i would agree um but i i say that with with great respect and admiration for a a comic book very well drawn well thank you I think I think the worst me reference for that mindbender is panel four. He's got like no shoulders <laughs> and and noodly biceps. I do think I mean mindbender of of any cobra mindbender should be the one who's skinny because uh, I mean on the one hand his his character design he is showing off his chest because he's just got um, suspenders and a cape on the other hand. Uh, he's just like the evil scientist uh, interrogator. So unlike, uh, you know, like a viper, Dr. Mindbender doesn't have a lot of reason built into his like character backstory to like lift get sh- weights. Get yoked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a dentist, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think his, I think his jaw muscles should be quite strong from. I bet I'm, you could find a fit dentist somewhere, though. Like, I, certainly, certainly, and and by superhero, I mean you know, there's that pinup in. Is it your book three or four? Mike Zach did a pinup of Doctor. Oh, Mindbender of him running, running. like uh, the back, the back cover. Uh, mm. I'm thinking of the one when he's just walking down the hall at us, mm, mm. and you know, like with Tom Palmer inks. Uh, very good. Yeah, yes. all those pinups were inked by it's like Dennis Jank and P. Craig Russell. All those pinups were inked by different people. Very good, Billy. Um, Done my homework. Uh, that's, that's, that's some nerd fan cred right there. 
when I was when I was casting, uh, who would you guys cast as Doctor Mindbender? Because I came mm. up with two during during the drawing process. I'm gonna have to get back to you on this because yeah. I feel I need, like I feel like I need to think about that. Um, well, because I it's like it's like well, like Brian Cummings' voice pr- vocal performance in the show. It's like he's doing an accent, and so right. am I thinking of like a foreign actor? Or am I thinking of an American who might do an accent? Or is that accent like an unfortunate stereotype that we should get past? I, I don't like his voice in Venom versus Valor. So uh, I don't know. I also, uh, he's in the, he's in Rise of Cobra, sort of. Sorry, right, Mark, you were going right. to say? No, no, I'm saying pleasure. I have to give it some thought. I think Pete well, the... Postlethwaite would make for an interesting... Uh, oh uh, wow! My, my... It's not on. It's not a model by any any means. But um, are you just are you just picking a bald guy? I, I am kind of picking the Patrick. Patrick Stewart, right? Like no. <laughs> two can play that game. Well, when when I think of casting, I'm not thinking. <laughs> yeah, The Rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I'm when I'm thinking of casting, I'm thinking of uh, line art not acting ability or voices like this isn't for a movie this is for a drawing and i think on that last panel on that page my mind was going towards uh jesse ventura you can tell he's got the little butt chin you guys are both super silent yeah <laughs> I'm, 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 look, I'm looking like jesse ventura would be a terrible doctor no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that chin looking i ain't got time for yeah. dentistry but then I started thinking of um, there will be blood. Daniel Day Lewis would yeah. be a good mm. visual Doctor Mindbender. He would be. <laughs> yeah. This issue, I'm going to change tracks back to the the art overall. I think because I knew I'd seen a little bit, um, Billy, of your Facebook posts about process just before I read the issue, because um, Mark Mark said Mark messaged me and said. This guy's putting a lot of interesting stuff on the internet. Um, Just for the last seven days. And that kind of process stuff is is fun and interesting. And I think, think it's good to draw the curtain back for comics readers. So I think I went into this issue with a different mindset, knowing like this issue was a real schedule um, challenge. And something about your art overall, there is a... I don't, I don't know what the word is for it because um, it's the art isn't the art is not rough or rushed. There isn't a uh, see it's like slick doesn't work because I find a lot of the inking to be pretty slick. Maybe what I'm thinking is um, there is there's a roughness in the faces, which I like. And I think what I'm seeing there, because I've looked at your comics and your cartooning on your website, I think what I'm seeing there is the rush to get the issue done. Mm. And um, in that regard, this issue reminds me, and I mean this in a good way, of 141 and 142, which were done under uh, some real deadline challenges and like editorial was changing and like, you know, Hasbro was involved because the Transformers are showing up and there are multiple artists. And mm. at the time I read those issues and was having a hard time because the Transformers were showing up and I love the Transformers, but I, I sort of don't think that these these two should meet. But going back to those issues now, like knowing how they were made and, uh, you know, it's like the patina of nostalgia. It's like, mm-hmm. well, even sort of like the, the sort of roughest issues of the original run are still like very important comics to me. And I'd rather read those than some like brand new, very slick issue of Batman or something. 
if it were up to me, you know, I would take reference for everything. And then when my favorite artists do do that, I'm like, oh, they're kind of missing some life. So I do think the rush deadline is like, okay, you just have to draw these quickly. And hopefully there'll be some energy that translates through the rush job, if that makes sense. Go, going back to it, I, I'm, I'm thinking now that this is sh- what I'm saying is showing up in the second half of this episode. So I'll, I'll reiterate a point from the first <laughs> half when you talked about about your process and like setting your stopwatch. Mm. The, your process of setting a little deadline, is it seven minutes to like draw this, draw this, draw this, move it on? It could be any, usually nine. Okay, nine minutes, right? Like, And, and right. I'm just going to pretend it's like this panel, this panel, this panel. And you described it as like, a bunch of like related things, like a bunch of foliage. That is what professionals do. Like I remember when I was r- right out of college and a friend of mine was drawing a comic for slave labor graphics. And he talked about his tough deadline and how he couldn't do his like best work because like he had this deadline and he said, but you know, sort of the best that I can do isn't this like, philosophical ideal if i had infinite time because no one has infinite time and like no one wants to wait infinitely for me to finish um my best is what i can actually do for this comic you know it's like you think of your favorite team and they win the championship and it's like well the team they beat in the super bowl one guy had an injury it's like well, yes. we'll never know if both teams had been at their best it's like no there is no like issue of gi joe that you draw where you have like nine weeks right and you know, and I could so. be wrong saying this, but I think Danny Elfman has said that, like with the Simpsons theme, like that's the theme he'll be known for his whole life. And that's the one he worked on the least amount of time. I remember because uh, uh, I own I own that collection of his movie and TV music. Uh, and he, he in the liner notes, he mentions that um, his score for Mission Impossible was a rush job. Mm. And I don't know that if I'm listening to a music score. You know, I don't have the ears to know if one is a rush job or is it, if another is a rush job. Was that songs for a dark theater? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So okay. volumes, volumes one and two. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My my other comment for the issue, <laughs> uh, not about not about art. Um, I've said this before. Keep it to nine minutes, Tim. <laughs> Sorry. Keep um, it to nine minutes. Nine minutes. On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my other comment. I've said this before. Uh, Neil Uatake does some really great sound effects. So yes. Page yes. two, panel five, the uh, whirr um, on the, 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 the whale turning around, right? The way that he maps those letters into perspective so that they match the curve of the wake of the, wheel, uh, the whale having turned around. A lost and, art, yes. And then, uh, and then page 16, uh, panel one, which is, oh, uh, that's uh, Outback. Hitting the is it the night viper on on top of the cobra vehicle? Yes, pathonk. Uh, pathonk, um, and it's slightly the bottom of the letters are slightly behind the viper's helmet, and then even uh, the page uh, I guess it's page before where mongoose uh, shoots the uh, the tire, right? Yes, so, yes. Pathut patham. I'm much more interested in lettering by hand than lettering on computer. But I understand why publishers nowadays do lettering by computer. It's much faster, corrections are easier, and doing foreign translations is much easier. What it also means is that like you can 
you can sort of anybody who thinks they know the computer can be finger quotes a computer letterer and they probably shouldn't be right like you need to understand design and typography and computers um and uh sound effects in comics are uncommon these days uh and yet they are in the idw gi joe and not only are they here and i like the actual like onomatopoeia but yuitake does um some some really fun stuff with them as a fan of the Artie Simic Spider-Mans and the uh, Tom Orzakowski X-Men Wolverine Excaliburs, I <laughs> I really do get excited to see that stuff show up. Nice. Okay. I think we, we got uh, covered a lot in this issue, but let's delve into some of the details that we've spotted in I Spy. I Spy with my little eye. So first up, I Spy Black Hat is a short viper. I, I like this little touch that in costume, Black Hat is noticeably shorter than the, the rest of the characters uh, as, a, as a viper, sort of a uh, little bit like the, the Stormtrooper in Star Wars. Um, aren't you a little bit short for a, a viper, maybe? I love that trope in Wizard of Oz. I love that trope in Star Wars. I was thrilled to get to do it in G.I. Joe 287. Is that, is that in the plot or you just figured... I just kind of figured she um, could be taller. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my I spy is I spy a Cobra steel crusher, mm-hmm. which is a vehicle that does not date to the original real American hero run, but it dates to uh, the first live action movie. It's a Cobra a rise of Cobra vehicle. And I find it uh, interesting that Hama puts it in here um i mean maybe he's like randomly searching yojo or 3d joe's or one of these reference books for a a cobra land vehicle or maybe he's thinking well it shouldn't be a stun because of this reason but i immediately saw it and i thought for a second wait is that new did he make that up is that just a generic like jeep thing uh uh humvee and then they named it and they wait no that's from the first movie um and so i you know, I don't I don't love mixing the animated series and the comic, and I probably don't love mixing the first movie with the comic. This is like, I guess, the first time uh, it yeah. happened. It's from yeah, two thousand nine. It's a very cool, cool looking vehicle. I think one of the best, you know, more modern era vehicles. Um, I've been tempted to to seek out one uh, myself off of eBay, but haven't pulled the pulled the trigger. Part of part of why part of why I don't like it in the comic is because Cobra vehicles are supposed to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's and very grounded. Vehicle, yes. Yeah, this vehicle is very much like people in Hollywood coming up with something realistic for that movie that will like make sense and that is like easier mm. to make. Uh, I, yeah, I think in my my own play as a child with GI Joe, I was sort of. Uh, gravitated towards the slightly more realistic sort of practical functional vehicles so i like the warthog because i could see the you know having that right. those hatches in the back and tr- transporting troops in a safe environment be very useful and i loved uh the the stinger and the vamp and the tomahawk you know gravitating all of those so so that kind of it's in my wheelhouse yes i i will i will agree with you if magically in 1986 there had been something like the stinger but the size of the stun there'd been like a stinger mark two that was bigger i would have been all over that 
And so the the other observation about seeing the steel crusher and I think the first appearance of that in the comics is that alongside that is the vehicle driver, the Nitro Viper version two, who has uh, their costume uh, taken by uh, it's um, um, mongoose. Mongoose, yeah. yeah. That was all in the reference they sent me. Okay, cool. The I did notice though on the steel crusher, um, it goes slightly off model in terms of it's got a gun turret which I don't think is in on the toy. I think you can find different pictures online. Uh, sometimes it has a gun turret and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, for me, for visual storytelling, I just wanted something that kind of had that shield and it's really kind of uh, <laughs> my own personal toy, Roadblocks, Madus sticking out of it. Because <laughs> it's, it's I, just, I think it reads visually from panel to panel to panel yeah. quickly. No, it's a good addition. Um, my, I have an I Spy. We see it first on page eight, panel three, and then panel four, and then it returns uh, much more visible, not blocked by word balloons. Page seventeen, panel five. This very difficult to draw Cobra logo chandelier, mm. <laughs> which is which is so fun. Also, Billy, if this issue was drawn with a deadline crunch why did you make something that like that that would be hard to draw (laughs) it's funny the issue comes out and you're still kind of living your life and i think when i was drawing it my son had just watched um army of the dead army of the damned or whatever Zack snyder just did yeah yeah on netflix and there's a whole bunch of making ofs. And I was like, oh, there's a casino with interesting angles. Everything, you know, you Google casino and you get photos by the casino that they mm-hmm. put up. And people don't typically take pictures of them. But, you know, the making of, you can look up, you can look down. So I just printed out like four or five or six Cobra logos. And then kind of cut them out and taped them together, thinking that they would make a Cobra chandelier. I'm glad you caught that. And all of the um, casino machines also have little Cobras on them, even though they're not colored that way. (laughs) (laughs) And again, there are some panels that repeat the background. That's one of them. Uh, I just use the same background again, except... Kind of like animation or movie making, the elements in the foreground are different. Like uh-huh. the casino machines are, like it's the same ceiling and the same chandeliers, but the bats are not carrying the roulette table anymore. Mm-hmm. The bat isn't rolling out the carpet anymore. The re- right. roulette table has been set up the second time we see that panel. Right. I almost, I almost made a um, cobra pattern carpet to send to <laughs> Jay Brown. Where they would be kind of, you know, tessellations of the Cobra logo. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that sounds like a great use of your time. <laughs> yes, yes. It's funny the things you obsess over and get excited about. Okay, the next I spy that I have is that Shipwreck is speaking Spanish. He says, Es ciego? Is he blind? And I looked back to his file card and his name is Hector X Delgado. He comes from Chula Vista, California. Um that sounds like uh, credentials for someone who might speak Spanish as a you know first language or a second language. I never saw a script, so that was that tickled me very much. 
Right. See, okay. You're drawing from the plot. I'm drawing from the plot. Larry Hama gets your art and then he dialogues over your art. And makes and then, things flow better. Yes. And then you buy the comic X week <laughs> and see how it all comes together. Okay. This is funny. Um, my wife and I, our alarm goes off at five in the morning and, um, <laughs> you know, shower, waste time on your phone. Uh, I'm showered by five 30. I wake up at the high schooler at quarter to six and then we're out the door by quarter to seven breakfast and all of that. Uh, the one morning my wife's checking emails and she's like, did you see the one from Tom? No. What is it? Oh my God. It's the PDF for the issue. <laughs> I don't have time to read this. And, <laughs> and I read it cover to, you know, Snake Eyes Dead Game ad in the back. <laughs> uh, it, it was the whole comic as a PDF. And I was like, I'm going to be late to work. Parker's, <laughs> Parker's going to be late to school and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I just, I had a smile on my face. It is different to see it in print. I was like, okay, this is the definitive version. Like it's it's mm. it's eleven by seventeen when I draw it. It's God knows what when I scan it and they color it. I'm reading a PDF on my phone in the morning. <laughs> so to see it in print, I'm like, oh, this is what it really looks like. So that's exciting. Any uh, Tim, have you used up your ice spice? Uh, I said one inadvertently in part one of our interview that. Uh, Blowtorch is conspicuously in that one panel mm -hmm. where we see the pit, and I thought must be the artist's first toy <laughs> or a favorite character because no one else, like Hama's not going to write like Blowtorch is also there. Yeah, he never shows up in his, you know, with his full-on mask as well, even uh, in a Hammer when he is a main character. As a fan, I just want to pepper it, and maybe maybe drawing the cover influenced me. Like, who did I not get to draw? <laughs> Yeah, I you know, I would love to pepper this whole comic with people you've never seen before in the background doing God knows what. So that was fun. Rakondo's in there too. Oh, behind Duke? I thought that was Wild Bill, but yeah, okay. And is there is there anything else uh, that you'd like to spotlight in the I Spy Billy that we've not yet touched on that you think is worth drawing our eyes towards? Um, as we go into hour four, um <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> the uh, the Mamba cockpit on page four is a little bit of Airwolf and a little bit of Kit. <laughs> <laughs> um, the kitchen is from Jurassic Park. And we never have flashbacks in G.I. Joe. Uh, when Black Hat's walking down the hallway, uh, my wife and both of my sons are in the background. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I did have one. Uh, oh. The teacher. The teacher's you. The teacher is me. Okay, good. And the classroom <laughs> is populated with friends I played G.I. Joe with. Aw, nice. I need, I need to tag them in Facebook and tell them, hey, by the issue, you're in Is it. that your classroom or is that some 80s, 90s classroom because it's a flashback? That is a make-believe classroom, but I do have a computer lab in my school and I did okay. take a picture. You know, we have flat screen monitors, but there's also a TV on a cart in that picture, mm. which would not exist nowadays. This, this hurts my heart looking, listening to black hat and uh mongoose talk. Cause they are kind of date stamped. And I'm like, Oh my God, I could have taught them <laughs> oh, <no>. like, <laughs> Oh wow. 
<laughs> like yeah. I was like, I was like, are we flashing back to her in middle school or high school? Is this the eighties, nineties? Oh my gosh. Is this the early two thousands? Mm. Uh, it, it's hard to tell. The, uh, this isn't, this isn't like an I spy, like an amazing Easter egg, but I just want to point out that on page, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The first panel of page seven, when Black Hat has opened up this uh, um, like electronics briefcase that right. says COM3 on it, there's a little satellite dish in front of it. Right. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure nine out of 10 of our listeners saw that. Uh, but just in case you didn't, it's like, okay, so she is, this is how she's sending this. Uh, signal out and i feel like that's a sentence in the plot you know that's a, it's like it's like include this include this kind of equipment with this kind of uh little satellite dish the way i inked it i tried to make it pop against the black shadow of her com3 box but then it kind of got colored the same color as the com3 box so it, it is harder to see but this is why this is i spy it mm-hmm. is funny all the gi joe toys have a gi joe sticker on it yeah. <laughs> like a logo so yeah, i put yeah, the logo but... on her com3 box thinking that is not going to be good when she walks through the casino <laughs> like uh on that same page as well for an ice spy we've got a, a, a map of uh cobra island which uh must have been using reference from those cobra civil war issues where it's got yes. the map of cobra island that map Was showed that up a... twice was that a reference you were given? Did you have to get that one yourself? That was a reference I was given. It's funny, the nice. things that are in the script, and I know I know Larry's a master storyteller, and he's been at the comics game forever, but the script called for a moonless night. And I think he even <laughs> said it's a black, make, make the water black. It would be hard to see anybody on a moonless night. It's in the dialogue, but part of me thought, do I draw everyone in silhouette? <laughs> do i i want light sources bouncing off their faces so um I, I can't remember what issue of special missions it is i want to say 17 or 18 uh but there's a scene where i think it's stalker and tunnel rat and a couple of other joes are in the jungle in south america and it's nighttime and just everything is colored um medium blue and dark blue mm. and that's one of those decisions that a color artist would make in comics in the 50s 60s 70s 80s that probably like no very few colorists are going to make now right because you don't have only 64 colors and like the crummy printing on newsprint you have like 16 million colors uh and and you know maybe the artist is going to draw it to sort of fake a lot of light that's not really there or maybe not well, I think the map is also described as being in like protective plastic, and I was like, "Nope, don't, <laughs> don't, don't know how yeah, to do not that." Doing that. Yeah, I yeah. could have put a big reflection on it, but would it read as a reflection? Or I don't know how to draw a map. Or here, here's something terrible as we enter hour four. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you were complimenting my 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 storytelling. And I feel like I learned a lot of it um, by adapting a Larry Hama's silent issue into a stop motion movie. Wait, that was you? What? What? <laughs> uh, wait, 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 wait. The, the thing on YouTube with the action figures? Right. Yes. 
<laughs> it was. I'm sorry. My, my brain is folding. <laughs> Maybe that I've seen that, and so many Joe fans have seen that. And Larry, like, even I think reposted it recently on his Facebook. Wait, is your name on that? Did I just not connect the two? It, it is Pin Productions. Is your first name and last name on that? Maybe in the credits. <sighs> wow. Uh, well, it's in, and now, and now, whole separate. Now, part three of our interview. You can talk right. about making that. <laughs> oh no! Well, I was just going to say, turning uh, Cobra Castle into like a cardboard 3D model and actually acting out the issue in real space with real figures during a pandemic with my kids made me realize, and 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 uh, I think of I think of Larry and his scripts. He's like an action cartographer. Ooh, what a good term. <laughs> I'm going to trademark that right now. Um, but none of his comics are hard to follow. And reading special missions, uh, there's always a map. They're always showing you a mission. They're always showing you an overhead view. His wide shots are always really wide. And and I, I really wanted to bring that into the comic. So, like, you 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 do get your close-ups to keep the story interesting visually. But you really do need a lot of wide shots to um, to establish where people are in relation to each other. So, so there's that. Um, I think I think uh, yeah, that, that's amazing. A, that's, um, that is a point. It's a whole well other podcast on its own. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I apologize. I should have kept that under wraps. Uh, that's a point well made. That GI Joe issue twenty one is instructive. Uh, because Larry is such a good visual storyteller, right? Whether it's like how he provides information for his artists in his plots. Also, his his plots are not boring to draw, right? right. They might be hard to draw, but like things happen. And like, it, you know, a lot of interviews with people who draw on G.I. Joe, people say Larry's a very visual writer. And I, I think... I think if you hear that, you might think like, well, yeah, but aren't all scripts for comics visual? No, no, they're not. Uh And, um, and that even if someone isn't like drawing a Larry Hama plot for an issue of GI Joe, all of us can learn something by breaking down issue 21. And I say that as someone who has broken down issue 21 for his students (laughs) several times. Uh, We made a uh, comic comparison video for that issue also, where you can, Wow. You can watch the stop motion movie and the comic mm. side by side. Uh, right, it was right. funny. I, halfway through animating it, I thought, why doesn't Snake Eyes just shoot these guys like Indiana Jones? Why does he throw his grenade? And then I'm like, that's Snake Eyes' gun that falls off the... Mm-hmm. Uh, He's lost it. Yeah. I, everything has been thought out in issue 21. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> the only thing I don't know is... Where do where does Destro and his troopers go when they round that corner? What to the top? I don't know. The top and then they go oh yeah, the Destro Destro drops out of the story. Snake Eyes is like they went that way, mm-hmm. and Destro and his guys run up, and I'm like they run behind mm-hmm. the pillars. No, you know where they go? Uh, the same maze that those two guards are taking the claw around in for three <laughs> hours. Okay, okay. Destro yes. also like he makes three lefts and he ends up in this maze. That's actually the core of the Silent Castle is just like a never-ending maze. Well, it does change shapes. Maybe, maybe that <laughs> <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> maybe it was shifting. 
It's, he's stuck between he's stuck between a giant gear, right, and mm. like a giant like folding wall. Yeah, the answer is he went that away. Um, I th- I think he disappeared for uh, for the cover of twenty two. I think he's right. going to find a giant rattler model. Right, he's got the chess pieces. Oh, okay. uh, GI Joe humor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Mark, you wanna you wanna move us you wanna move us uh, move us along, Mark. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. So um, one of my, which uh, is, I think might not be an error. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, and can easily be no prized. Is uh, Outback talks about being on Cobra Island before, and I can't recall an issue where Outback was on Cobra Island. He was not on the uh, Civil War uh, invasion force. He was not in that annual where they came and they come back. So I'm not sure if there was a story where Outback was actually on uh, Cobra Island. Wow. Hot damn. Hot diggity damn. 289 should be the untold tale of <laughs> Outback solo mission. You know, that that could be a mistake. Hama could be misremembering the Cobra Civil War. At the same time, there are lots of Joes doing lots of things off panel. And uh, yes, absolutely. I would I would read I would read an issue where that story gets told. Absolutely. Um, uh, that's great, Mark. My error detected is uh, the inside front cover, mm. which uh, reuses a panel from the previous issue. Because I think the designer or letterer who set the inside front cover with the sit rep and the credits and the covers for this issue uh, forgot to swap in a new panel from this issue, having pulled up the file from the previous issue Mm -hmm. and updated it. Or they did it and then like turned off a layer in Photoshop or something, or like saved a slightly older version uh, instead. And this is, this does not, uh, well, it actually does affect my enjoyment of the issue. It doesn't really enjoy my, because uh, I'm because I'm such a grump. It doesn't really affect my enjoyment of the issue, um, but uh, it did confuse me for a moment because I thought, oh, is this a printing error? Is something wrong with this comic? Um, Mark, do you have another error? Detected? My next one is an error, but an easily forgivable error or explainable error. Um, so uh, there was the quote about uh, Napoleon: "Is he lucky?" Um, on the article, 10 famous things that Napoleon Bonaparte never said features this. It's a quote often attributed to Napoleon, but there is no evidence to suggest that he ever said these words. If he did, then as an avid amateur historian, he probably based them on something that Cardinal, Cardinal Mazarin, chief minister of France in the 17th century, actually said when he said, uh, one must not ask of a general is he skillful, but rather, is he lucky? But, you know, it's a very commonly uh, shared story, so there's no reason that Mindbender couldn't have actually genuinely believed that that was an actual quote from Napoleon, as many do. I thought that too. Very good. Um, (laughs) I have a small error detected. Page 15 in panel 3, the driver of the cobra vehicle gets out and is colored like a regular viper but then in the final panel is colored like a motor viper and i think that's because this nitro viper version two is 
like a, a recolor of the Motor Viper, but the Nitro Viper version two that came with this Steel Crusher is in all black. Uh, and then uh, as, when we see um, uh, Mongoose in this disguise in the next couple of pages, he is colored like he's wearing a Motor Viper, right? The Stun Driver, mm-hmm. right? The, so the Aqua Beige, sorry, Aqua um, Gray Light Blue uh, costume. So uh, a, a little inconsistent consistent there. And I got a little confused on that first page with sort of which which Cobra was sort of where around uh, the vehicle as they're getting um, held up with guns. Uh, but but very minor. Okie dokie. Have a time. time to beat the soles of your boots with my face. Sucking chest wounds, red ninjas, brain scanners, rubber hooses, blue ninjas. So my hammerisms that I spotted were the the return of the much-loved brainwave scanner, of course, a typical Larry Hammer touch there, but uh, the use of the word exfiltrate uh, that uh, I noticed. So in two instances, Black Hat says, shall we exfiltrate? And earlier on in the issue, Shipwreck also says, should we weigh sea anchor and exfiltrate? Whenever, uh, when we see the Joes getting the, getting out of dodge, they will be doing it as an exfiltration. I'm gonna, um, as a uh, hammerism, I'm gonna take a guess here that the flashback, um, mongoose's flashback, when he says, "My mom had taught me to read starting when I was three. I'm gonna take a guess and say that that is generally autobiographical but that's that's just a feeling that's not a fact when i got reference of the dearborn um graffiti that that actually did happen Mm. um it did have rah in parentheses and i was thinking someone's gonna think that's real american hero yeah i don't know what it means (laughs) i just copied it yeah, I couldn't, wow. I couldn't figure out what that might mean either. But that's actual graffiti. Uh-huh. Um, next up, colloquialisms. There used to be a pudding that was over-egged. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. At first it was British, but then it was Commonwealth. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. But now there's a new player in town a comic book writer of of some renown he's using real world examples and peppering the issues with with lots of samples it's a larry hammer colloquialism he's talking gi joe and all its heroism can you guess what it is is it something new now listeners larry drops a slice of real life on you zodiac is referred to so that's a registered trademark for the rigid hold inflatable boats and the other colloquialism i saw was connex uh, in conjunction with the connex box uh, connex stands for container express it was developed during the korean war and was uh, reinvented to form the standard intermodal shipping container that is widely used by shipping companies today Onyx Container Express. Is there um is there some hamaism on the final page 
with the Joes in costume bluffing their way past Mindbender. Would you consider that, Mark? Is that a is that a is that a fun thing that we've maybe seen before? I, I like it. Um, and I, I when uh, on the, the previous page, as I turned the page, and Mindbender says, uh, "What are you doing in here? Right, what are you doing in here? This is a highly restricted area." I thought, "Oh no, the gig is up." <laughs> uh, and then it's it's funny they just bluff his way past them with uh, with uh, with panache. No, I was just gonna say, good for Molto stepping up and not being <laughs> not being intimidated. Yeah, not getting too killy about it. You know, talk your way, talk um, your way out. Did you did you think that they were gonna maybe shoot the three captive vipers and like bury them? <laughs> you know, part of me as an elementary school art teacher was worried, like, uh, this is pretty violent. And I I love this issue. Like no one gets killed, no one's shot. I didn't have to draw any exit wounds. The three vipers that are captured, do you guys remember like I remember being a kid reading the Snake Eyes trilogy and uh, at some point, Storm Shadow kills <laughs> the Three Stooges, dressed as uh, mm-hmm. vipers. There's yeah. like Larry, Curly, and uh, Mo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did try to draw these guys like that. They were not colored oh, wow. like that. But wow. one guy's got Mo Howard hair, one guy's bald, and one guy has curly hair. Uh-huh. That's all. Uh, and and we now learn uh, that uh, standard issue undershirt. <laughs> for all vipers uh, at least on cobra island is is red whereas um i think in the, in the animated series right when they've when they've taken some cobras captive am i making this up do they have like tank tops uh maybe i'm making this up <laughs> i actually wanted to give them all different i think i wanted to give one like a tank top one a v-neck and one a crew neck uh, the the script said they were stripped down to their BVDs, and I I got a kick that that's probably something my dad would say, like <laughs> like who's who calls underwear BVDs anymore? Dads, see, see that's Dads. a colloquialism yeah. I don't know. BVD, that's just uh, that's the brand. Bit, yeah, okay. that's that was their that was sort of their slogan. You can was find like, a commercial, I'm sure. Yeah, was it like <laughs> no one? Was it no one gets between? <laughs> my BVDs? Am I am I making this up? Is that wrong? Brooke Shields said that about her BVDs. Okay. <laughs> no, those were her Calvin Kleins. Oh right, right, right. Right. Uh, let's let's <laughs> let's remove that that part because uh, <laughs> we can we can promote Conax and Zodiac, but no no need to promote an underwear manufacturer. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm even jazzier in my BVDs. Hey, I drive even faster in my BVDs. I'm more intimidating in my BVDs. BVD brand underwear. Whatever you do, that extra comfort helps you do it better. I became a TV heartthrob in my BVDs. America, do it better in your BVDs. Now get up to $3 back by mail. At my age, I've done just about everything in my BVDs. Um, okay. Uh, and then the, the final sort of, it's not a nice buy, but, uh, the letters page is replaced with a, uh, a touching tribute written by Diana Davis to Bob Prupis, who was so instrumental at Hasbro, mm-hmm. uh, in marketing, sort of defining, crusading for GI Joe, defining GI Joe, uh, inspiring, uh, designers and marketers and salespeople, 
um, at Hasbro in the 80s, uh, also Transformers and, and lots of other stuff. Um, I think he actually was on a lot of fans' radar after he made an appearance at BotCon in, I forget, I want to say 2005. Tim, did did you meet Bob Prupis uh, or talk to him for, for your book? And uh, will there be an article forthcoming? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prupis was at BotCon um, in... I think it was I think it was Pasadena uh and it must have been I think it was 05 uh and he did a panel with another former Hasbro person and it was great he was retired he lived in Florida I talked to him after I asked if we could do a phone interview he said yes we did a phone interview and then a little later I flew to his house in Florida and he was a gracious host um and yes I'm I'm I had to finish that giant movie review, but uh, yes, I'm I'm trying to edit down our interview into something that's uh, not too long, doesn't reveal anything I wanted to hold back for my mm-hmm. book, but also like still an interesting read for uh, my blog that's okay. that's on the docket. But we, uh, GI Joe fandom lost a couple people um, this summer, uh, so I I have a couple of these sad blog post uh, interviews to edit and run. Okay, so this has been our longest episode ever. <laughs> uh, we joked about it at the start. It's been beset by technical issues, uh, but we've we've Charlie mic'd, um, and and so I think uh, we need to we need to sort of ease it to a, a close. I need to check that my children are still alive. We should all exfiltrate. The funny thing, Mark, is that um, you're going to log off, and in a week you're going to log back on. Billy and I will still be talking. <laughs> I do have a question for you, Tim. It can be after we exfiltrate. <laughs> yeah, in your in your email, you said you had a question for us. Was that have you asked that question? Or is this it? I, I haven't asked it yet. No. <laughs> Come on. Well, if it? It, if it should, should be, should if I? It's, if it's good, if it's good for our listeners, you should ask it. Okay. Um, most teachers have a signature on their emails, mm. and I'm probably one of the last teachers that does not. Uh, I wanted a good quote that was fun and educational, but shows that I don't take myself too seriously. I wanted to write, and knowing is half the battle, and have like a picture of me pointing with like an explosion behind me. But I wanted to attribute it to the correct cartoon writer that came up with that. Oh. Jeopardy theme, go. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, I don't know who wrote that, and I, I don't... Um, my educated guess would be uh, Joe Bacall uh, of Griffin Bacall and Sunbow Productions but um, uh, <laughs> uh, although the although the PSAs um, have uh, two credited educational advisors Mm. Uh, let me check my interview with uh, with Bob Selman. I don't know if he takes credit for that. Okay. Hold on. You could be a little bit cheeky with it and you could credit it to uh, Dashiell Fairborn or something like that. Mm. Um, <laughs> no no one will know because knowing. That's right. Oh, I will. <laughs> I think Michael Scott on The Office credited like a Wayne Gretzky quote and then he quoted himself. So I was thinking I'll do like knowing's half the battle, unknown, and then Tim Finn, subquote, <laughs> under that. 
Cool. So that was a long one. Thank you so much for being so gracious and generous with your your time. And uh, yeah, if you never talk to us again, I'm sure you'll think it's t- too soon. So so thank you for <laughs> thank you for for that, uh, Billy. And uh, yeah, is is there anything you'd like to promote? Probably not your blog because it appears that you don't want people to visit that. But. <laughs> You could check Mr. Penn's art classes on YouTube. You could check Penn Productions on YouTube. That's <laughs> that's all I got for you. You guys have been awesome. Thanks so much. Do you thank you? Do you have uh, any comics work coming up that we should be on the lookout for? Um, if I do, I will let you know. Mm, okay. Cool. So not not yet ready or not not yet ready to talk about shareable perhaps yes (laughs) well thank you guys no thank you yeah thanks billy this has been great tim where can people find you my comic book store in somerville massachusetts is hub comics our website is hubcomics.com and my gi joe blog is a real american book.com excellent uh, you can find more about the show at the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to all of those places. Uh, we're also on Patreon. Big thank you to all of our backers, including Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher and Justin, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. Uh, next up for the show, we are continuing our look at Devil's Due Frontline. And back here, uh, we will cover the latest issue of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, as it hits the stands. The next one will be a spotlight on Falcon. Ah, and that's us done, I think, and hope. Uh, <laughs> there he is. And, uh, but remember, Tim, if you don't forget. Uh, nobody beats talking Joe! A Real American Podcast! Also with a guy from England for some reason. Laters! Billy, is that a toy by your left elbow with the orange? No. Oh, okay. That's that's Oh, that's oh that's reference for this very comic! It is. <laughs> Crikey, what? You've got an AK forty seven. That's very Two realistic of them. looking. Oh, it's, it is. It, it's not for playing outside. No. There's, that's that's so, photo reference for this issue, right? That's for you. That's, that's yes. guns to take photos. There's the Walmart hiss. Nice. Hiss. And some snow cats. But no hisses in the issue. Right, right, right. right. We heard that story. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you'll get to do a, a flashback to some like KGB and it's just all AK-47s. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you won't have to like extrapolate how a, mo- a more modern, more difficult uh, machine gun looks in your perspective photo of an AK 47. Yes. It's funny. My brother let me borrow this pretty realistic looking M16 and I broke it twice. Oh, nice. Like, like a bike fell on it. You and- wait, you're in good company. Uh, Larry Hama um, uh, either sent or built and sent to Ron Wagner an M16 model for Enthman. Oh. Wagner, Wagner broke it. Okay, okay. Enthman's on that cover, too. What? 
Wait, did you say that now? No, 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 no. The uh, the Larry Hama tribute cover. Oh, oh, oh. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 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 That'd be awesome if he was hiding in there. Uh, cool. Uh, Mark's really got to go. <laughs> I really do. I, I, I so would sorry. be in so much trouble with